Good morning, Bridge. How we doing, guys? So good to be in the house again. <laughs> and we're thrilled for you that are online as well. I got a lot of text and emails between services from people that were with us in the first service this morning. I've gotten, Pastor Andy mentioned it, but, but I got emails from Washington State, from the Philippines, from, uh, from Virginia, from all over the place where people are watching and uh, worshiping with us. So whether you're here in person or online, we're so glad that you're in the house of the Lord today. We're continuing our Insta Family series from chaos to Christ, putting Christ at the center of the family. And, and what we've been doing, for those of you that are new, we're, we're kind of walking through the different stages of a life of the family and, and just pulling some biblical, practical wisdom out that'll help us in each one of those stages. We started this journey on Mother's Day, so we honored our moms. And the week after that, Pastor Andrew came and talked to us about principles related to, to singleness and dating life. Last week, Pastor Allen knocked it out of the park on the subject of marriage. If you missed any of those messages, I hope that you'll go back to the website and take advantage of them. Real practical wisdom from the truth of God's word. Today, I want to talk about the parenting season. That's what I'm going to call it, the parenting season, because I don't just want to talk to parents. I want to talk to families. This is a family service, so I'm going to talk to families today, but I do want to talk about that season when, when kids are trying to navigate growing up in a crazy world when teenagers are trying to figure out, you know, who they are and where they fit in the world and, and parents are doing their best to provide and guide and protect their kids as they go through that, that journey. And so all three different groups, all three different categories are involved in what I'm calling the parenting season of life. I want to talk to all three of you this morning. And here's the bottom line. All of us have to navigate that stuff uh, in the face of two truths. Truth number one is that we live in a sin-cursed world and Satan is the prince of the power of the air and, and we're all born with a sin nature. I heard a couple of murmurs out there. Any amens in the house? I mean, th those are the realities that we have to live in this world. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Adam and Eve were born holy and chose sin. And ever since then, we're born in sin and have to choose to be holy. We all have a bent toward destructive behavior. We all have to resist that and ask the Holy Spirit to empower us. That's, that's just a reality of doing life. The second thing, of course, is... In, in, present context of our world is, is we are bombarded with, <coughs> with destructive messages at a level and at a volume that quite frankly none of us have ever had to deal with before. Whether we're talking about social media or TV or movies or the, or the, the evening news or right down the street we're bombarded with these kind of messages and so it's a whole different world that we're trying to navigate these things through. But, but the, the thing that's consistent in all of them is at the end of the day, we all just want to love and be loved. Can I get an amen? And we all want to feel like we've done something worthwhile with our lives. I mean, that's what it comes down to. That's the common denominator. And so whatever age group you happen to be in, uh, we want to love and be loved. We want to do something worthwhile with our lives. And somehow we have to navigate all of that through this sin-cursed world that we're dealing with. So today, in the few minutes I've got with you, I want to break the message down into three parts. I want to preach you three sermons. Uh, I'll try not to spend full sermon on each one of them, but, but I, I really want to talk to the kids today. I want to talk to you children. It's a family service. It's not 
uh, just an adult service that you get to hang out with. I want to talk to the kids for a while. And then I want to shift gears and I want to talk to you teenagers for a while. And then I want to shift gears and talk to the adults for just a few minutes. So let's, let's kind of walk through that. We'll look at the kids first and then the, the teenagers and then the parents as we navigate this parenting season together. That said, let's get into it. Let's talk to the kids first. So where are my kids? My elementary kids. I see some over here. I want to see waves. I want to hear some noise from the kids in the house. Come on, give me some noise. Oh, come on, give me some noise. This is, you're allowed to be loud in church for a moment, okay? I want to talk to you guys for just a couple of minutes, and let me say just right up front that what I'm going to say to you may feel like uh, a challenge or a criticism or whatever, but what I want to tell you will benefit you. What I want to tell you will help your life to be better. It'll help your family for sure, but at the end of the day, I want you to understand that everything I'm about to say to you is to your benefit. That said, as you navigate the kids' season of life, there are three things I want, to, I want you to keep in mind, okay? We're just kind of process in your heads. First of all, uh, obey the first time. Thank you, parents, for not reacting too loudly with that. I had to tell first service people to calm down. <laughs> Obey the first time. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, 2, and 3. Uh, read it with me. Come on, let's go. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with what? With a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And so when I say obey first, it's not just for your parents' benefit, it is, but it's for your benefit. The fact is, you ought to obey your parents because it's the right thing to do, but you also get the blessing of God's blessing in your life, and you get the blessing of, of, of more peace at home, less hassles at home, of, of being trusted by your parents and not being yelled at so much because you didn't obey the first time. So there's benefit to you guys for you to do this. Just imagine with me for a minute. Go along with me for a minute. Imagine that if when mom said it's time to get up, you actually got up. What if? What if when mom said it's time to turn the PlayStation off and do your homework, you actually turned it off and did your homework? I mean, what a concept. Wouldn't that be cool? What, what if when your dad said, get a, get a cool cloth because your mom has fainted, that you actually went and got one for her? <laughs> I mean, just imagine that, what that might be like. Imagine the peace at home if, let's say, bedtime is 8.30, and at 7.30 they start the process of saying, okay, guys, it's time to get ready for bed. I don't want to go to bed. Don't make me go to bed. And so they start that at 7.30. At 7.45, they say it again. Here we go again. 7, 8 o'clock, they start again. So every 15 minutes, they turn the volume up until finally at 8.30, it's time to go to bed. What? What if they just at 8.25 said, okay, guys, I'll wrap up what you're doing. We're going to bed. And you actually did it. You'd get a whole hour of peace every day at home. What a concept. What a blessing for you if you just obey first. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Listen to your father and mother. What you learn from them will stand you in good stead. It will gain you many honors. So the first thing I'd like for you to keep in mind, kids, is obey first. Secondly, uh, is get along with your brothers and sisters. 
Just, I know that's hard because they're stupid. They're morons. I know. I got it. But uh, try, okay? Our boys are grown now, but I remember very well the parenting season in our lives. And, and it felt to me like for a season there that the only thing I ever did was play referee. I mean, it's just that was my whole life. It's that's mine. He's touching me. Tell him to stop poking me. I mean, it's just this constant kind of is it ever? Does it ever blow you away how badly we treat our immediate family members, but let somebody else say the same thing about our brother and sister, and we'll take them on, buddy, because that's my brother. You're not going to talk about it, buddy. We can say it, but nobody else better say it. Am I right? That's what happens. Understand, kids, I'm not saying get along with your brothers and sisters for your parents' sake only. I'm saying for your sake. Get very personal with you for a minute. We have three sons. And uh, our two older boys were just two years apart, and then our third son was four years later. And it's pretty incredible. I won't go into detail of it, but, but it's pretty incredible how mean the two older boys were to their little brother for a long time. Quite often, they would pick on him unmercifully. At one point, I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's not funny because it's very real, but it's humorous in some ways. They actually told him that the remote control for the TV caused cancer, and they would point at him and say, go get me some tea or I'm going to push the button. I mean, it was just, it was unreal, some of the stuff that they did to their little brother until one day they woke up and the youngest was suddenly the biggest. And things changed. Now that's humorous. But the truth is it took them a long time as adults to work through some of the resentments that came from the way they treated each other during the growing up stages. So when I say get along with your brothers and sisters, I'm not just saying it for your parents' sake, I'm saying it for yours. And before we move on, let me make sure that you understand this is not just Pastor Jim's idea. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, now about brotherly, brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been, what does it say? Taught by God to love each other. If you want to have a great growing up period, kids, uh, then obey first. Don't wait till your parents get exasperated and start yelling. Just respond and do your best to get along with your siblings. Most importantly, I said there were three things. The third thing is give your life to, to Jesus young. Accept Christ as your savior at a very young age. Um, statistically, 83% of people who claim to be Christians or given their lives to Christ do so before they turn 13 years old. But that's not always the case. Church like ours, we have an awful lot of adults who come to Christ and, and you know, even later in life. My grandfather was 84 when he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And, and when it came time for his funeral, the pastor got up and his opening words were Blaney McKeithen did not give his life to Jesus. And I bristled because I knew that he'd gotten saved just a few months before. And I saw the dramatic change in his life after he did. And, and I couldn't believe the pastor just said he didn't give his life to Jesus. The pastor then went on to say, Blaney gave his life to other things. At the end of his life, he presented himself to the Lord as if he had a whole life to give and Jesus accepted him. That's grace. So God's grace extends no matter where you are and whatever season of life that you're in. It's never too late to accept Jesus Christ, but statistically, your best shot is to do this very young. 
which is why we put so much emphasis on bridge kids and student ministries around here. We want to make sure that you have the opportunity to come to Christ. And during this COVID-19 season, we're going to be having family services and we're going to be together. And I love the fact that our that our families are worshiping together and, and your kids are getting to see you as a worshiper. And, and I love those dynamics. We hope to get back to Bridge Kids and Student Ministry soon, and we will when we're confident that it's safe to do so. But for now, we're providing with family devotions so that you can do things together at home. Bottom line is, guys, if you haven't already asked Jesus to come into your heart, please consider doing that. Well, Pastor, I'm really young. I, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. Here's what I know. Jesus said in Matthew 19, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So kids, if you want the blessings that we read about in Ephesians chapter 6 where God blesses you and promises to give you a, a long life, then give honor to your parents by obeying first. Make an effort to get along with your brothers and sisters, but most importantly, give your heart to Jesus while you're young, okay? So, teenagers, any teenagers in the house? Can I hear from the teenagers in the house? Oh, I don't just stick a hand up at me. Come on, teenagers, I want to hear from you. I know it ain't cool when you're a teenager to make noise in church, but okay, here we are. I want to talk to you for just a couple of minutes. and I've only got two for you. I don't have three because I'm going to assume that you've already committed your life to Christ as a young person. If you haven't, then, then please don't leave this room until you do. It's critical. But there are two things I want to suggest to you that will bless your life ultimately and your family. Number one is simply make smart choices. Make smart choices. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 11. Even a child is known by his actions, by whether his conduct is pure and right. You know what that says? It says it is not, you are not who you think you are. You are what you do. That your actions ultimately say who you are. I've got to be honest with you. I remember my teen years. It hasn't been that long ago. Okay, it's been a while. But it hasn't been that long ago. I remember my teen years, and I did some really stupid stuff. Because I was convinced that I could, I could experiment with anything, and there would be no permanent scar from it. That I could try anything, and I was invincible. Nothing could get to me. It took me a while to understand the choices have consequences, and if I wanted better consequences, better results, I had to make better choices in life. In fact, Jesus told the story that you may have heard of. It's a pretty famous story. We often call it the prodigal son. It was a teenager that came to his dad and said, Dad, I, I, I want my, my part of the inheritance now. I, I'm tired of living in your house and under your rules and, and under your thumb, and I want to get out on my own. And his father gave in, and he gave him the money and said, Okay, go, you can go. And the Bible says that he squandered all of it. He went off to a far place, and, and he got in with the wrong crowd, and he started drinking and drugging and partying and, and, and ultimately squandered everything, and then all the friends are gone, and now he's by himself. He's hungry. The only thing left to do was to go to work in a pig pen eating pig's food. He finally came to his senses, went home to his dad. Can I tell you that I've seen that far too many times in the 21st century? Can I see, I've seen this story play out in the lives of teenagers 
way too many times. Or they, they even know the story sometimes, but they think they're smarter than the prodigal son. I'm going to experience life on the other side for a while. I, I'm going to settle down in time. Yeah, I will, but I'm not ready to grow up yet. There's plenty of time for me to settle down later. But I've watched parents during those seasons too in agony because they know three things that they want you to know. So I'm going to tell them tell you for them, okay? The first thing they know is that sin leaves a scar every time. Sin leaves a scar. When the prodigal came home, uh, he still smelled like a hog pen. I heard a preacher say uh, some years ago, sin takes you further than you thought you'd stray. It keeps you longer than you thought you'd stay, and it costs you more than you thought you'd pay. Second thing your parents know is that there's no guarantee you'll make it back. You may think you're invincible, but in fact you are not. Sometimes the damage that's done during that season of, of I'm going to go sow my wild oats is forever. Way too many teenagers, way too many young adults, quite frankly, have died in drunk driving accidents or drug overdoses or murder. Good kids strayed too far for too long and didn't make it back, and we grieve about those realities, but you need to know them. The third thing your parents know is even if you do make it back, you're left with a series of regrets that you will carry for the rest of your life. You see, the prodigal son did come back, and his father did receive him, and he threw a party for him because he was so glad to have him home, but he missed out on an awful lot while he was gone, and the money he took squandered and will never be recovered. We parents know that. So we desperately want you not to have to pay that price. So if we lecture you a little too much, or if we sermonize a little too often, could you cut us a little slack? Because we're coming from this place of I love you and I don't want you to have this scar. I love you and I don't want you to experience what maybe I experienced or I've seen others experience in life. In fact, here's the prayer that we pray for ourselves and quite frankly, we pray over you. Psalm 119, verse 9 to 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray for your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for my sons and now my prayer for my grandchildren. Prayer for you is make smart choices. Be aware the choices have consequences. The second thing um, is perhaps a little more practical at home, and it's just simply keep a good attitude at home. I know this can be tough. I, I, you're, you're growing up, you're, you're trying to start to assert your own independence, you're trying to establish your way in the world, and I know it can be hard when those tensions start to arise, but the Bible lays out very clearly what our attitudes need to be at home. Whatever season of life that you're in, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's read that one together, okay? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. You want to know what love is? There it is. There's the definition. And we're all called to love one another. Now, if you're going to do that, uh, we could break that down into four categories as it relates to the teen years. First of all, don't put up walls. 
again, I know it's, it happens uh, so frequently, but, but could, you, could you push back on that idea when you feel yourself setting them up? Like the mom who was asked one time to describe her teenage daughter, she said, well, you know, my daughter's very independent. She lives alone at our house. Sometimes that's how it feels, but I need to let you know that no matter what's going on in your house, when communication breaks down, everything breaks down. Keep the lines of communication going. Don't put up walls no matter what's going on. Secondly, spend some time with your family. Somebody said, you, you know your children are growing up when they stop asking you where they came from and start hiding from you where they're going. Things I realize, again, you're, you're trying to grow up. You're trying to establish your independence. I get that. When you find yourself hiding from your family, remind yourselves that you're going to be without them soon enough. I beg you to cherish the opportunities while you have them. All four of my grandparents and both of my parents are gone, and I would give almost anything to spend a few more moments with them now. Let me beg you to take advantage of your opportunities while you can and not chafe because mom says, would you stay home for dinner tonight or can we go out as a family this weekend? Spend time with your family. Third, show respect. When your parents say, I don't want you to wear that, that's too much skin showing. Or they say, no, I'm not going to let you go to that party. I, I need you to understand, when you beg and plead and argue, everybody's wearing this. Everybody's going to the party. You need to understand the message that you are sending. The message you're sending to your parents is, I don't respect your role in my life. Whether you mean to or not, that's the message that you're spending. And I need you to understand that when you send that message to your parents, their tendency is to exact more control, not less. Because they're charged with providing and protecting and guiding you. And so when they sense you being disrespectful in those kinds of ways and pulling away, they tend to, to try to exact more control. On the other hand, when you start contributing around the house and start acting respectful toward uh, your parents and others and start demonstrating loving uh, attitudes around the house, you send the message, I respect you, Mom. I respect you, Dad. I respect your role in my life. And you know what parents tend to do? They tend to trust you more when you do that because you're acting more in line with what adults do who walk with God. So when they ask you something, don't roll your eyes and say, whatever. Don't walk away while they're still talking. Show respect with your words, with your body language, and with your actions. And in case you're wondering, I'll just throw this in for free, okay? Uh, uh, in case you're wondering, when you do get a little frustrated with your parents and you show disrespect for them and you walk away and you mutter under your breath, I hate you. Here's something you need to know. I'm going to whisper it so your parents won't hear, okay? They don't like you very much in that moment either. <laughs> Which leads me to the fourth one, and that is simply forgive. Nobody's suggesting that your parents are perfect. None of us are. Or you take an imperfect being and connect them with an imperfect being, you don't get perfection, you get double imperfection. That's what happens. Throw some more imperfect beings into the mix, you get a lot of imperfection. That's reality. We're just doing our best to get it right. We're praying for wisdom to make the right decisions. So teens, your parents aren't perfect, but they do love you, and they are responsible for you. 
for your safety and your well-being. Don't put up walls. Spend time with them. Show respect to them. And when they need it, forgive them for their own imperfections. You'll find the benefit accrues to you as a teenager as well. So, kids, what's your assignment going from here? What is it? It's obey the first time. Do your best to get along with your brothers and sisters and accept Jesus as your Savior very young. Teenagers, what's your assignment as you go from here? Make smart choices. Remember that you are the sum of your choices and choices have consequences and keep a good attitude at home. Now, parents, are you ready for yours? I got three right quick for you uh, and, and for we grandparents. There's three for us to consider right quick and we'll close, okay? First of all, Understand the stages of parenting. That parenting comes in in stages. And that may sound like common sense, but it's amazing to me how uncommon common sense is these days. So let me be clear about it. There are three stages in the parenting process. First, there is the dependent stage, say from birth to, to maybe preteen years. Then there's the independent stage from, from preteen, from early teen into early adult years. And then there's the interdependent stage when they are, in fact, adults on their own. During the early years, the key words are things like care and control. During those dependent stages, yes, you, you provide most of the care for them. You train them little by little to care for themselves, but you're providing most of the care. And yes, you're providing most of the control. And so when you're walking along through a busy parking lot or across the street and, and your little one says, I don't want to hold your hand, it's not up to them. You take their hand. If they say, no, I'll hold your hand. No, I'm sorry, I'm holding yours because they don't have the wisdom to know that a car is coming. And so you're going to keep them safe. That, that's care and control and that's, that's part of that journey. But when they move into stage two, the independent years, if you hold on too tightly, you will lose them. So the key word is cautious release. You're constantly evaluating maturity, constantly easing up on the reins as they're able to take on more and more responsibility for themselves. One of my sons came to me when he was 14. I remember it vividly. He wanted to go to a particular party and I knew the family that was hosting the party and I knew there would be things going on at that party that he wasn't ready to deal with. So I said, no son, I'm sorry, you're not going. And he went through the all mad and all my friends are going and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. He finally ended up with, you don't trust me. And I said, well, you know, actually I trust you about as much or more than any 14-year-old I know. I just know there's some things going on at that party that a 14-year-old won't have the wisdom or maturity to know what to do with. So I'm sorry you're not going. Learning where they are, measuring release according to their maturity. During the independent, interdependent years as adults, you've got to let them go. You've got to sever the emotional umbilical cord just like you did the physical one when they were physically born. And yes, you pray they come back for visits often. And hopefully you've provided a loving environment that they'll want to come back to. But the bottom line is you have to cut the purse strings and, and let them go. Somebody said the two best things parents can give their kids is roots and wings. Roots and wings. That's our job. The second challenge for you is be the adult, whatever stage they're in, be the adult. It drives me absolutely 
crazy when parents say to me, my son and I are best friends. My daughter and I are best friends. And I get what they're trying to say. And if you've ever said that, I get what you're trying to say. But no, you're not. You are so much more than friends with them. Kim said to our boys one time, he said, I just want to be friends. And she said, I'm sorry, I'm not your friend. I'm your mother. And your friends will come and go, but I will be here for you no matter what happens. You see, it's a much deeper level of relationship than friendship. So don't settle with being friends. Be the adult in the relationship. Somebody's got to be. And I know, I know, that's incredibly difficult. I raised three boys. I understand how incredibly difficult that can be. And frankly, how lonely that can be sometimes. But when you position your kids to be your friends and to meet that need in your life, you're putting a responsibility on them that's ultimately unhealthy for them. So you be mom, you be dad, you be the adult, even when that's tough. I made some decisions when my boys were growing up, particularly as they got into their late teens but still living at home, that were incredibly difficult decisions. One that I made with one of my sons when he left, I went into a fetal position in the corner of the room and wept and said, oh God, please tell me I just made the right decision. And ultimately, it proved that I did. But, but that's incredibly hard sometimes. Just remember Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Parents, remember the stages. Be the adult. Finally, and I'll wrap this up. Model your faith. Live your faith. Let them see your relationship with Jesus. 3 John 1, 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Can I tell you that every Christian parent I know gets more peace and more pleasure knowing their kids are following Christ than anything else. They get more joy out of that than knowing their kids made a lot of money or, or got famous or got successful. Anything else. For every Christian parent I know, the highest joy is when their kids are walking in relationship with the Lord. And can I tell you from experience that they will grow up and make their own choices? But your best shot at helping them to make that choice is to be real, be authentic, live out your Christian experience in front of them. Don't just say you ought to be reading your Bible. Let them see you reading your Bible. Don't just say, hey, we're going to church. Or y'all go to church. I'm going to drop you off at the church. Come and worship together. Get the family devotions and sit down. And if you're uncomfortable with this kind of stuff, just open the book and read it. Just read the words. But spend some time modeling your faith before your kids, let them see it in you. My mom and dad were not both believers. My mom was a dedicated Christian. My dad was not most of my growing up years. And yes, there were tensions in the parenting process because of it. Late in my teen years, actually junior, senior year in high school, I, uh, I ran hard from God. I come from a long line of 
alcoholics on my dad's side and my mother's side. Dad was the youngest of six. His five siblings were all alcoholics. And I got caught up in that world my senior year. Couldn't get through the day without a drink. So I got to where I would, I'd try to come home late. I'd try to come home after I thought mom and dad were asleep. Dad was kind of oblivious to what was going on, but mom was very vividly aware of what was going on. So I'd try to sneak in. I'd come in very quiet. You know, those hardwood floors would creak and I'd freeze in the hall. More than once I'd pass by her bedroom door and I'd hear her crying. Praying, Lord, bring my boy home safe. And let him know how much you love him. Save his soul before he does something really stupid. I can remember lying in my bed at night feeling horrible that I was putting my mother through that. I just wasn't ready to do anything about it. But the night before I graduated from high school, I did. And it was mama's prayers that were ringing in my ears when I did. Never underestimate the power of a praying mama or a praying daddy modeling your faith in front of them. Not hitting them over the head with a two-ton Bible, preaching at them all the time, just being real, authentic followers of Jesus Christ. And if for any reason, at whatever stage you're in, children, teenagers, or adults, in this room or online, if for any reason right now you're sitting there thinking, you know, I've never really accepted Christ. I've never really given my life to Jesus. This is the moment. This is your moment. This is your moment. And I pray that you'll do exactly that. In fact, Hebrews chapter 7, uh, chapter 4, verse 7 says, Today when you hear him calling, do not harden your hearts against him. You see, we're talking about the seasons of family life. But at the end of the day, earth is just preparation for eternity. This is a short time. Eternity is forever. So the most important decision that you'll ever make is to say yes to Jesus. Let his love and his forgiveness and his grace wash over you and ultimately define who you are and who you are. Let him speak his love and his purpose to you. In Jesus' name. Would you pray with me? Father, you see us. Whether we're in Princeton, North Carolina, in this room, or we're in Africa or the Philippines or some part of America, wherever we are watching online, you see us. You know who we are. You know where we are in relationship to you. Whether we're children, teenagers, adults, grandparents, whatever season of life we're in, you know us. And I know you love us. I know your grace is available to us. So right here, right now, I pray that you'd make yourself very real to each one of us. In Jesus' name, keep your head bowed for just a moment. I want to ask you to consider praying a simple prayer with me. Maybe you've never prayed a prayer like this before. Maybe you have kind of back this whole thing for a while, and it's time to renew. 
Pray this simple prayer with me. Jesus, thank you for loving me no matter what's going on in my life. Thank you for accepting me and forgiving me regardless of what I've done or where I've been. I accept your love. I accept your forgiveness. I accept your fresh start. I accept new life in Jesus Christ. And I thank you that you're going to empower me to live this relationship out in the days ahead. In Jesus' name.